decades. The award-winning Your Financial Editor Program on 930 WFMV. News from the worlds of business and finance with Your Financial Editor, Chris Murray. Welcome to another edition of Your Financial Editor Program right here on Free Talk Radio 930 at WFMD.com. And, of course, on your app, I am Chris Murray, your host of the Your Financial Editor Program in our 23rd year. Thanks so much for being with us today. Appreciate it. Hope your weekend's going well. Hope you had a pleasant week so far. And um, we've got a good program laid out for you. We're going to be talking about some top stories, some economic data, what happened with the Federal Reserve this week. Joining me in just a little bit, a friend of the program, Mr. David Ditch. He's a policy analyst at uh, the Heritage Foundation. And he focuses on federal spending and fiscal policy. He actually... Uh, was a budget analyst for the Senate Budget Committee, where he oversaw appropriations. Um, and we're going to be talking with him about all of the, I'm calling it sausage, that is being made in Washington, D.C. right now with these uh, spending plans and the uh, the budget and the Trojan horses, I think, that they're building down there that are going to lead to uh, higher taxes, more regulation, Inflation. There's a trillion dollars on the sideline they haven't even spent yet. And they're talking about another total of, I think it's uh, when you add it all up, around $4 trillion. Uh, these are all Christmas wish lists that they're trying to get rammed through uh, while they have control uh, down uh, inside the Beltway. So we're going to talk with Mr. Ditch about what's really in these packages, these plans, these bills that are uh, going to become... Uh, forced on us and become, uh, in some as- aspects, uh, you know, part of our lives. Although we do have a lot of uh, opportunity to push back and to do things differently to get around a lot of what they're trying to do that is going to hurt the country, um, the short term and long term. And I think people know that if they're paying attention. Uh, and we're going to talk about that in detail. As far as the top stories, interesting, at the beginning of the week, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies had a nice start, and that's because there was speculation that Amazon could soon accept cryptocurrencies as payment. So Bitcoin popped up about 12% on Monday morning. Um, It marked the cryptocurrency's highest price in over a month. Speculation began after Amazon posted a job advertisement for a, quote, digital currency and blockchain product lead, unquote. And that's going to be based out of their Seattle headquarters. So um, a spokesperson for Amazon told uh, the media in the U.K. that they were inspired by the innovation happening in the cryptocurrency space, and they're exploring what this could look like on Amazon. So anytime you have these big players coming in, and uh, they're alluding to the possibility or they're announcing that cryptocurrency is going to be acceptable. Uh, it's uh, obviously a, a, a very good piece of information to hit the wire, and that helps uh, that sector in general. So I mentioned we're going to be talking with uh, my guests in just a little bit about these various uh, things that are being pushed through or proposed by Congress. Um, one thing I saw this week, a Democrat proposal to tax unrealized capital gains when heirs inherit assets. This is not good. 
So, again, they come up with a fancy name. Uh, foolish people fall for it, but other folks don't because they know it's just a warm and fuzzy name. They try to come up with an acronym. This one is called STEP, Sensible Taxation and Equity Promotion. And um, apparently it would have a significantly negative impact on the economy, including annual Average job losses of 745,000 per year, according to a new study. So the study was carried out by the nonpartisan firm Regional Economic Models um, on behalf of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, and they found that sustained annual job losses from eliminating a tax benefit on appreciated assets known as, you may have heard this term, step-up in basis, would range from uh, a low of 537,000 to a high of 949,000 people losing their jobs every year for 10 years. So that's where they got the base case of 745,000 jobs lost per year through 2030. Um, so this STEP Act was, introdu uh, was introduced by uh, Van Hollen from Maryland and uh, backed by a number of his uh, prominent Democratic friends uh, in the Senate. And they seek to uh, get rid of this step-up-in basis and treat assets transferred by gift, or in trust or upon death as triggering immediate capital gains taxes. This is just unbelievable. You get taxed your whole life on everything. Try to pass on things to your children, your loved ones, the things you care about, and no, they want to eliminate the step-up in basis and make uh, death taxes due immediately. That's basically what it is, or taxing people for dying. Um, the analysis also predicts that the provisions of this STEP Act would, in the base case, lead to a 10-year loss in personal income of $1.1 trillion, which translates to $8,748 per household. So you're wondering how they're going to try to pay for all these foolish uh, programs they're coming up with and fancy um kind of lead titles like equity, equality, climate change, whatever. Um, it's, it's all, in my opinion, again, just Trojan horses that are being uh, put together to pull the wool over people's eyes, and that's a perfect example. Another tax immediate on death that heirs would have to come up with to pay uh, the capital gains tax due. Um, and then also I saw this week a former uh, uh, economist that was part of President Trump's administration. His name is Stephen Moore. Um, he said excessive government spending and mounting national debt will likely trigger a financial crisis in the next 18 months. He said, he, uh, this is a quote, it's a very precarious time economically for the country, unquote. And he was at a uh, uh, an annual conference uh, of the American Legislative Exchange Council, and he said that uh, there's a debt hangover coming, and if we stay on this path that the Biden administration wants us on, he believes there will be another financial crisis. 
So uh, many conservatives, financial conservatives, fiscal conservatives, including more, believe that uh, the vote for this infrastructure bill and a de facto vote or is a de facto vote for Biden's larger $3.5 trillion social package that calls for tax hikes and spending on education and climate change and Medicare expansion, uh, or it, which really is just government health care. Um, and he thinks that sometime in the next 18 months there will be a big uh, correction. Um, you know, we're due for one, obviously, or even just a regular correction. Uh, but, you know, when you have people that have been involved in this uh, sector as far as the economy and the financial markets and the Federal Reserve, their entire uh, working career, like Mr. Moore, and you hear uh, someone say that that has um, they, they really have a, a good if they have a good reputation, I should say, as opposed to being a political hack. Uh, yeah, he worked for President Trump, but he's also always been a free market guy before there was any uh, even whim of President Trump running for office. So, and you might remember me telling you this a couple years ago, President Trump actually nominated Stephen Moore for the Federal Reserve. But, of course, he wasn't going to get confirmation because he's been critical and honest about the Federal Reserve and their missteps and how their missteps have led to uh, bubbles and financial crisis over the years. So uh, he wasn't going to get any, and he didn't get any love uh, when his name got floated for that post. Um, here's something else as far as uh, from the Biden administration, uh, one of his new appointees, uh, we saw that um, public companies could be required to disclose climate change-related risk to, inv- to investors in regulatory filings. So this is under a proposal being formulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission, and this could expose companies to new litigation threats. So the SEC Chairman Gary Gensler, again, he used to be at Goldman Sachs, but he worked in the Obama administration, and then he went back to the private sector, and now he's back in you know government like these guys do, uh, swamp, basically. But he said that... Uh, He has asked agency staff to consider whether climate-related disclosures should be filed in companies' annual reports, or what is known as a uh, Form 10-K. And that would require them to provide statements that they are both complete and accurate, making it easier for SEC enforcement attorneys, government uh, attorneys, to investigate firms or their directors. So now it becomes even more dangerous to be uh, on the board of directors for fraud or disclosure failures. So they're basically going to scare them and bully bully them, which I don't like using that word, but that's what it is, um, into doing what they want as far as um, acknowledging, embracing, and supporting their narrative on climate change. So, um, you know, basically, I mean, how do you qualify the unknown, again, with climate change? I've always said the climate changes. It's what the climate does. Always has, and it always will. And we've actually made progress the last 30 years um, with uh, the ozone uh, and and whatnot. So this is just a political hijack, um, and they're getting everybody, it seems, uh, the swamp people on board.
the p- politicians, I shouldn't say everybody because it's not, but a lot of them, uh, the politicians, uh, corporate America, the elite, the real, real rich people. Um, so why do companies have to explain and highlight something like climate change? I mean, they don't do that when they're making uh, abortion devices that they make and sell that impacts society in such a way. They ignore that. They, they don't even want to talk about that, but they're going to come up with this narrative of um, of climate change and what is it now? That in, what did AOC say? And what do we have, 10 years left? Something like that. And what did... Uh, the Obamas say that the water level is rising, but let, yet their latest mansion that they bought is right on the water. So if you really believe that, would you truly go up north and buy a house right on the water? Of course not. But it's do as I say, not as I do. We'll take care of everybody. You know, you, uh, you rubes out there who aren't smart and can't see through the acronyms like STEP. And uh, and all the other fancy names they use when really it's, uh, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing. When we look at some economic data of this week, uh, sales of new U.S. single-family homes actually dropped to a, a 14-month low in June. And sales in the prior month were weaker than initially estimated also. So this is a third straight month uh, that we've seen a decline in sales reported by the Commerce Department. And uh, you've got these higher production costs, inflation, are forcing builders to scale back, keeping supply tight. It's boosting up home prices, and that's a detriment, especially for the first-time buyers. So new home sales fell 6.6%, the lowest level since April of 2020. And um, that was just the opposite, and then some, of what economists were looking for. Economists uh, surveyed by Reuters Big miss. They thought that uh, sales were going to go up 3%. Instead, they fell 6.6%. Again, builders are constrained by uh, lumber prices as well as shortages of other building materials. Uh, Also, you look at the backlog in household appliances, land, uh, labor, all that going on. Now, a lagging indicator in housing showed that home prices were up 16.6% year over year. In May. So that outpaced the number we saw in April, which was phenomenal. And this was according to uh, the National S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index. Uh, And when that gauge came out, it uh, continued to show growth. Actually, the 12th straight month that we've seen um, increases in home pricing. And guess what? Home prices are 38.1% above where they were in 2006, the peak before the housing uh, bubble, uh, burst, I should say. So uh, just unbelievable when you look at that sector. Phoenix was up almost 26%. San Diego up close to 25%. Seattle up a little over 23%. Those areas continued to see the biggest increases. But you also had Charlotte. Cleveland, Dallas, Denver, um, and others join in uh, on those nice record annual gains. 
and every region logged double-digit increases. So this S&P Case-Shiller uh, Home Price Index, by the way, if you're not familiar with it, like I said, it's a lagging uh, piece of data, number one, but it looks at the big cities, the top 20 cities across the United States, and uh, kind of gives light as to what's going on there. Pending home sales uh, in the month of June fell 1.9% from where they were in May, according to the National Association of Realtors. So, um, you know, this is what's supposed to be in the pipeline. And according to their chief economist, he was saying buyers are still interested and they want to own a home, but these record high home prices that we've been talking about are causing some to retreat and uh, basically they're being priced out of the the market. Um, And, you know, when you look at uh, all that's going on, it was also interesting to see this week that uh, the Consumer Conference Board, their monthly index for consumer confidence was up to a reading of 129.1, up just a little bit from where it was in June. So even though we've got... uh, these high energy prices, high food prices that everybody's talking about, and other prices and services or prices for services and goods that we're dealing with, the consumer is still trying to stay positive, excited about uh, getting out there, living their life, putting the virus behind them and all the government intervention. There's a lot of that that's just being ignored. And like I said, people are living their lives, they're ready to to get back uh, to where they were before. Um, Now, how we hold uh, China accountable for this, I'm not sure, because the uh, the Biden administration hasn't brought it up yet. Um, And, of course, you know, they're talking about the WHO and others. Yeah, we're going to support an investigation. We're probably two years into this as far as what the Chinese government has destroyed as evidence-wise that we could use uh, to really get to the bottom of it. So why anybody thinks they can go over there now for a second time? It was already gone the first time when they went, uh, and they're going to find something. Eh, That's probably the the old uh, needle in the haystack thing. But they do need to be held accountable because they killed people around the world. Uh, They destroyed businesses. They destroyed families. Um, They caused a lot of... uh, problems with mental health, of course, physical health and death from the virus itself. Um, but the suicide rate up, it was up. Overdoses were up. Um, again, families breaking up. All of that was up. So they need to be held accountable and in a big way. You know, we, we're not going to be, or we shouldn't be, a pushover to that. My friend Bob Miller on the morning news express, you know, he got COVID and I haven't talked to him off the air just, uh, you know, in the mornings when we're talking, but, um, I don't know. I don't know if he's upset knowing that this all came from China and they still won't show any remorse and actually tried to blame it on us and the administrations, you know, again, allowing them to do whatever it is they want to do. We know about all the hacks that we've uh, and and how we've all been compromised with our data from the hackers in China, especially in Russia, in Iran. And what what does Biden do? He gives Putin a name 
or excuse me, a list of names. What was it, 14 or 16, that these are off limits. You can't hack these. Who would do that? Think about that. It's, it's like, you know, you can break into my house, but not these dates and times. She's just giving them the information. It's so ridiculous. I, I tell you, crazy. Anyway, uh, quick break here. And um, the latest uh, complimentary takeaway we have for you at murrayfinancialgroup.com is, will your money last as long as you do? It's one of the most important questions uh, people ever ask themselves when they uh, get close to retirement and into retirement. So uh, go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's right on the uh, home page. And you just get your instant download. It's complimentary. It goes right to your email. And uh, it's only eight pages. It's a it's a nice, uh, comprehensive, but quick read that I think will, uh, will help you. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, what went on with the Federal Reserve this week. Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com and as a, uh, or I should say available uh, on your smart device if uh, you just download the free WFMD app and uh, have it right there at your fingertips. As far as the Federal Reserve, uh, actually quite a bit of activity this week. I want to start with um, a couple of the regional surveys. The Texas factory activity continued uh, to show a nice robust expansion in the month of July, and that was according to business executives responding to the Texas Manufacturing Outlook survey. So um, it was good to see that that was strong. Also, <clears throat> pardon me, really nice to see that the 5th District Manufacturing Activity, which is the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Richmond, and uh, you've got Maryland, uh, D.C., Virginia, some of the Carolinas, etc., in that uh, district, um, also showed a little bit of growth. It went from a reading of 26 in June to 27 in July, thanks to increases in the shipments and employment indexes. Um, so that was really good to see those two surveys um, as far as manufacturing and business um, overall was uh, was pretty good. Then we had the two-day Federal Reserve meeting. Uh, absolutely no surprises there. Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jerome Powell said that policymakers at the U.S. Central Bank see no, no cause for alarm from the resurgent resurgence, excuse me, of uh, the virus cases nationwide, driven by the highly uh, transmissible, supposedly, Delta variant. So, you know, that's the latest thing that uh, the politicians are talking about and all the uh, the scare police out there that, um, you know, even though you're vaccinated um, and even though you use common sense, assuming you do, uh, this Delta variant uh, is going to get you and, you know, we're going to have problems and they start using the word spikes and uh, and then that might lead to new mandates. And then they use the words like uh, mandatory, um, et cetera. So 
yeah, I don't know why he was talking as much as he did about the virus other than, again, he wants to impress Biden because his term is up in February. He wants to keep it. It's going to be hard because he was a uh, he was appointed by President Trump. I don't think President Trump was crazy about Jerome Powell, but Stephen Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, really sold Powell to uh, President Trump. Um, and then when Powell made a couple missteps, of course, knowing President Trump the way he is, he publicly blasted him and said he was doing the wrong thing, etc. Um, but Powell. When I mentioned no surprise, yes, we have inflation. Uh, yes, it's going to last longer than what we originally thought. Yes, we're still spending $120 billion a month in bonds every month. And yes, we're going to leave interest rates at zero to uh, 0.25%. But don't worry, because everything's going to be okay. So just talking out of both sides of his mouth. Uh, basically becoming a lapdog to Biden, just like Yellen was to uh, to Obama. Um, so it's uh, that's not a good sign. Uh, definitely not a good sign. Uh, but once again, it's the politics, it's the power, it's the money uh, that these people will sell their souls, uh, just like we're seeing with all the spending in Washington. Which, by the way, on the other side of this uh, this uh, break. We're going to be talking with uh, David Ditch. He's a policy analyst uh, at the Grover M. Herman Center for the federal budget. And before he uh, went there, he actually was a budget analyst for the Senate Budget Committee. This is the guy in the room um, where he oversaw appropriations. We're going to talk about all this crazy spending uh, that's being proposed and forced through Congress. Will your money last as long as you do? Go to murrayfinancialgroup.com. It's on the home page, complimentary. Uh, just click it. goes right to your email um, address. And uh, enjoy it. We're back in a second. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com. And, of course, as a podcast, just go to iTunes. Um, and you also can listen to the program on your smart device. Just download the free WFMD app, and uh, you can catch uh, all the good programming on the uh, station. As I mentioned right before the break, we're going to uh, jump into our discussion. My guest this morning, a friend of the program, Mr. David Ditch. He is a policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, focuses on federal spending and fiscal policy. You've probably heard him on the radio uh, elsewhere, uh, read his stuff at Fox Business, the L.A. Times, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and others. Uh, prior to joining Heritage, David was a budget analyst for the Senate Budget Committee. He uh, got his master's in political management from George Washington University and his bachelor's in economics and political science from the University of Rochester. Good morning, David. How are you? 
Um, feeling good. Happy to talk to you. Yeah, glad to have you on. Uh, looking forward to it. This is a very frustrating uh, subject uh, for me, extremely frustrating, and I know a lot of other people feel the same way. It's about all the money that's being uh, proposed and voted on and spent by uh, all those folks inside the Beltway. Uh, I meant, You noticed the piece that you had um, recently on the 19th of this month uh, titled Democrats' Budget Agreement Would Burn Economy. And um, I thought that was very appropriate considering, you know, what we're seeing and, and being told. Um, so I guess if you will, just kind of give the listeners uh, a current assessment of what's going on with the infrastructure, the what they're calling infrastructure, which is really they're just redefining it. Um, uh, and, you know, the other spending things that are on the table right now. Oh, my gosh. So we just got text this morning on this uh, so-called bipartisan infrastructure deal, and this thing is an absolute monstrosity. Now, a lot of people like to talk about infrastructure as though this is, you know, it's it's nice, it's sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, and everyone should be in favor of it. The bill that they've dropped and they want to vote on within a matter of hours is 2,540 pages long. Now, among those pages, there are roads and bridges. There's also mass transit. There's also Amtrak. There's also environmental provisions. There's safety. There is large hundreds of billions of dollars worth of deficit spending. I haven't had a chance to comb through this. No congressional staff has had a chance to comb through this. We have no idea what might be buried in there, but they're going to rush through it because everyone wants to sign off on something before the August recess. This is not the way our democracy is supposed to work, but unfortunately it's sort of the way things are in Congress. So um, how much of it do you believe really is infrastructure? And I think, again, people, uh, the traditional uh, definition and viewpoint on infrastructure, roads, bridges, airports, water projects, sewer projects, etc., that, that really, you know, is infrastructure and construction-based. Um, that makes sense. I mean, all of us are on certain roads and go over certain bridges that you see really do need uh, some work, repair, updates, etc. So how much of uh, what they're talking about, and I know you don't know exactly because, like you said, who has time to read, you know, over 2,000 pages of, uh, of legislation or proposed legislation, but how much do you think is really, uh, like I said, construction-related? I will say that this specific bill is, folk, is actually focused on construction projects. Now, when I, when I look at you know, the outline that was released a couple days ago in terms of you know, the, the big pots of money, I think a huge amount of that is wasted. So, for example, they want to spend as much on Amtrak and transit as they do on roads and bridges, even though Amtrak and transit combine for less than 5% of transportation and cars account for 85 to 90%, depending on how you're measuring it, they have very poor priorities. Um, there's lots of things in this bill that 
might be worthwhile spending, but have nothing to do with infrastructure or growing the economy. And then, and this is the key, the House, has, uh, Speaker Pelosi has repeatedly said that they are not going to take up this bill until they have a $3.5 trillion partisan bill that is loaded with welfare expansions and crony capitalist subsidies for favored sectors of the economy, massive tax hikes. This is a package. They're linked. They've been linked by Leader Schumer, by Leader Pelosi. Um, President Biden has gone back and forth about whether they're linked. But this is the, the infrastructure bill is part one. The and like I say, I think there's a there's a lot of problems, there's a lot of waste. They're gonna follow it up with with three point five trillion dollars afterwards. And, and let me put this in context. If you take the the infrastructure bill, the welfare bill, and the one point nine trillion dollar package they passed in March that combines for six and a half trillion dollars of legislated of legislation in a single year. That's about fifty thousand dollars for every household in the country. And now, if, if it's me, I would think that something that costs that much should be getting a huge amount of you know, headline news. But I've been kind of amazed at how little attention all the spending is getting in the press. Yeah, and I agree with you on that, although, and I don't know, I'm not surprised at all because it just seems, uh, my, my biased opinion is that the press, for the most part, uh, just goes along with whatever uh, is being pushed out of Washington right now. It's really humiliating. Like, people that call themselves journalists, that's there are very few true journalists left in this country anymore they're more just uh you know political hacks in my opinion so one of the things um and we'll touch on this on the other side of of a quick break is um there's this talk about reconciliation 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 i would i would wager that the majority of american people don't understand what that process is going to include and how it might impact uh, these uh, these various um, pieces of legislation, like you said, that, that they want them tied together as far as Pelosi. So on the other side of this, folks, uh, we'll continue our conversation with my guest, Mr. David Ditch. He's a policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, focuses on federal spending and fiscal policy, which is exactly what we're talking about, not headlines, not, um, you know, these fancy acronyms that they come up with to make you feel warm and fuzzy about some, as far as I'm concerned, deadly type of legislation that's going to be uh, saddled on us, our kids, our grandkids, etc. So we'll talk about reconciliation and where this may go going forward. Stay tuned.
Welcome back. This is Chris Murray, your financial editor on Free Talk Radio 930 WFMD at WFMD.com as a podcast on iTunes. And you can also listen to the uh, programming uh, when you download the free WFMD app. Uh, finishing up our conversation with our guest this morning, friend of the program, Mr. David Ditch. He's a policy analyst uh, at the Heritage Foundation, focuses on federal spending and fiscal policy, exactly what we're talking about the, today, except we're talking about facts and not, you know, fancy headlines, misleading headlines, uh, acronyms of whatever legislation they're trying to uh, get through. And before joining Heritage, uh, David was a budget analyst for the Senate Budget Committee. So he was that fly on the wall inside for uh, a lot of these types of meetings that we're talking about. And, uh, David, so, again, there's a lot of talk about reconciliation and how some things are going to get done that maybe shouldn't get done. Can you kind of give us an overview of what that might look like? So this is a process where uh, Democrats are going to pass a budget, and within the budget there are going to be some carve-outs saying this committee gets to spend this extra amount, this committee gets to spend this other amount, and they're saying we're going to increase taxes. And then there's a loophole that says you can then pass legislation with only 50 votes in the Senate to line up with what was in the budget resolution, which means the Democrats on pure party lines are going to try to pass a bill that would be the biggest spending bill potentially in history that would jack up taxes on businesses and investment right when the economy needs people to be investing, to be growing, to be starting up, to be hiring. We're going to cut that off right at the knees. And the spending is going to be on an absolute far-left wish list, the biggest welfare state expansion in generations. Um, They're going to try to cram amnesty for illegal immigrants into there, huge amounts of federal micromanagement of the economy, all kinds of quote-unquote green subsidies that are, you know, like like they're going to give more handouts for rich people to buy electric vehicles, an absolute smorgasbord for left-wing special interests. Yeah, and that's scary. So I guess the the only firewall we have from that is if Joe Manchin, for example, the senator from West Virginia or Cinema from out west, uh, doesn't provide, and they don't get, you know, some of the, uh, so-called Republicans, which in my opinion, obviously they're not, but you know, they don't get them to cross party lines. That seems like the only uh, way we're going to prevent that from happening. Is that, is that correct? Yes. They, they need to maintain the entire caucus in the Senate and they need to maintain practically the entire caucus in the House because the margins are pretty thin. Right. Yeah. And, you know, again, you're talking about uh, you did right before we took a uh, breather, that six point six trillion dollars of spending in one year. We've got trillions of dollars that haven't that's already been appropriated that hasn't even been spent yet. We know and you touched on this. We've talked about it for quite some time. The inflationary pressure. And who does that hurt the most? Well, it hurts poor people because they do have to pay for energy and they do have to pay for food, even though. Uh, the Fed likes to say, you know, we're going to strip that out and look at core numbers. And also, not only the poor, but those on fixed income. And this is just going to ramp up inflation even more. Absolutely. 
So, you know, again, it's not transitory, folks. That's just a, a word they want to make you feel stupid, uh, but don't. Because all you have to do is look up the definition, and transitory and, you know, simple talk is just temporary. And we're already beyond temporary, and it's going to get worse. So, um, David, if this was all to go through, what is the, uh, if you can, just speculate as far as the long-term impact on the United States of America? Well, for one thing, it would be a huge power grab for Washington, D.C. And you know, to me, I, I'm not sure what the purpose of putting Congress in charge of more things is if we want the country to grow and be healthy, considering how dysfunctional it is. It's going to increase taxes, which is going to be bad for growth. And also, if we have a big expansion of the welfare state, that is going to create disincentives for people to strive and work and move ahead, which isn't just bad for the economy. It's also bad for the poor. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I, and I appreciate you pointing that out, too. I always try to remember that. Uh, I mean, I'm blessed. Uh, you know, I have a nice, comfortable life. But uh, there are people out there that work their tail off and try to provide, and um, even though they could make more sitting home and being lazy right now, you still see those people that have pride and dignity uh, in the way they live their lives, and yet they're the ones that are going to get the short end of the stick, which is just the opposite of the course that comes from these liberal Democrats that are saying, that's who we're going to help. That's a lie. You're just trying to you know, get those people addicted to government. Um, you're really not trying to help them do anything. And uh, it's very, very frustrating. So, folks, if you want to learn uh, and, and get real information and facts, go to heritage.org. And uh, David Ditch, our guest this morning, uh, who is a policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation, prior to that, he was a budget analyst for the Senate Budget Committee. So you're actually getting... Uh, real information, not political uh, double talk, uh, but go to heritage.org, David Ditch, D-I-T-C-H. You can look up all of his great uh, uh, pen work and everything that he's published and really be educated and uh, make everybody else at the uh, barbecue uh, look foolish this weekend because you listen to the program. David, thank you so much for taking time to join us again. I appreciate it, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, get with you later in this year and uh, and see kind of where we are because there's a lot of balls up in the air right now. Thanks for having me. Okay, great. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, and um, good stuff uh, coming from David. We appreciate his input. You know, it's it's interesting, like he said. It's a, it, it's a power grab. It's a wish list. It, it obviously comes back to money. Because you see what these politicians make salary-wise. Some of them are already self-made or inherited money. But then you look at a lot of others um, that you wonder how they amassed these fortunes by just being politicians. And it's pretty obvious, really. Um, So that is not the kind of people you want leading you or supposedly representing you. There really isn't much leadership right now. and it's good to really understand what's going on so that you can make good decisions and have the proper views uh, after you have the information, the knowledge, and the material that you need to uh, to see what's going on, not, again, just these warm, fuzzy words, and which often just come from weak people, right? I've said that for years and years and years. You know, 
a lot of what these politicians do, when you look at it, really, it's an obvious sign of weakness, of no leadership. Uh, and that's just the opposite of what this country was built on and uh, what has allowed us to flourish and just be, again, a place that shiny city on the hill, right? Um, but instead, we have an open border, which uh, one of David's colleagues, uh, Miss Reese, you know, joined us not too long ago. And at the end of the conversation, when I asked her, is there any other reason you would have an open border right now? They're going to try to tell you to wear a mask somewhere, and yet they're letting people come in that haven't even been tested. It's such hypocrisy. But, you know, um, like she said, and, and I agreed, I, I was somewhat of a rhetorical question, but the only reason they're letting those folks in and then strategically, I think, placing them at certain parts in the country is for votes down the road. So can't put any trust in those kind of people, and you can't wish them well because they're really hurting the country from the inside out. Uh, this is Chris Murray. Thanks so much for being with us uh, on the program this weekend. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. We'll talk with you on the Morning News Express with Bob Miller and Ryan Hendrick. That's Monday through Friday, 550, 650, 750, live business updates. And then we'll be back here uh, next weekend for another edition of the Your Financial Editor program. This is Chris Murray wishing you and your family financial success. That's a hundred dollars cash apiece. This old boy struck it country rich at least for a couple of weeks. Oh, my daddy, that fifty spot in the muffler shop, the rest. But daddy and mother's gonna have to wait. I got an empty ice chest for his bedtime. This old town's trying headed to the county line for something cold. I need a 12 pack in a brown Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. News Radio 930. WFMD Frederick. A connoisseur media radio station. 7 o'clock.